Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Hi, I'm Shivaglani. It's fair to say that appreciation for frontline healthcare workers increased considerably during the pandemic. That's especially true of nurses who have worked tirelessly to confront the overwhelming challenge presented by COVID-19. That's why we're particularly honored to welcome today's guest, Elizabeth Iro, who's the Chief Nursing Officer for the World Health Organization. Before being appointed to that post in 2018, Ms. Iro served as the Health Secretary for the Cook Islands, the first nurse, midwife, or woman to hold that job. For the first 25 years of her career, she was a practicing nurse and midwife, serving in several roles in the Cook Islands and New Zealand. I'm looking forward to getting her unique perspective on the state of nursing now and in the future, and her assessment of the pandemic response. So, Ms. Iro, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today. My pleasure. So I'd like to start by first learning more about you and what got you interested in a career in healthcare, and then specifically nursing and midwifery. As you have mentioned in my bio, I come from the Cook Islands, little paradise in the Pacific Ocean. It is a self-governing island country in free association with New Zealand. Um, that just basically means I'm a New Zealand citizen. And so for me, after college, uh, I was deciding what to do. And of course, you know, nursing was a, an option for me. So having received a government scholarship, it kind of opened the, you know, the, the opportunity uh, as well. I saw it first as a, you know, it was an opportunity to travel, you know, to stories about how nurses were traveling to different countries seemed really exciting, you know, for me from a small island state. Um, at the same time, knowing that there was some security, you know, in, in a job that uh, you can basically work anywhere in the world with this uh, qualification. So I set out to do my nursing training in New Zealand. I think I was only about 18 years old at the time. And then returned to the Cook Islands. And then about two years after that, realizing some of my limitations in my skill sets, I, I sought to return to New Zealand to do a midwifery training. On completion of my training, I was a sister in the surgical ward. And I think that's uh, then when I realized, you know, the motivation for nursing then, you know, a little bit deeper than the travel or the job inspiration I had, you know, um, after college. So I was kind of determined to focus on making a difference to the lives of the people that I looked after and the people in, in the general community as a whole. This is um, emotional connection with the people I cared for. And so for me, it's seeing and hearing, you know, from people, the differences I made to them as patients or to their families' lives, um, the care that they received from me has been the motivation to remain in this profession. It's what continues to motivate me now, uh, and even in this role. I've enjoyed working basically, you know, more so in the field, in the clinical areas, and really having that real connection with the people and the, and the lives that you make a difference to. And I think at the same time, I did appreciate, you know, the respect I also got from my colleagues, you know, from the doctors, from the other nurses, midwives, the cleaners within the hospital and also the administrators. But I have to say that in my experience and responsibilities that I took on, there was this gravitation to take on more, more responsibilities. Um, and so, you know, you, you go from um, 
a clinical to a policy kind of lens in everything that you did or everything that I did anyway. There was this kind of uh, need to take on more responsibility, but that meant looking outside of, of the clinical space as well. Um, so I just feel as I have migrated, um, you know, in my roles, the different roles of, uh, and responsibilities that I've taken, there's this uh, transferable skills that you take along, you build and you take along to the next role as you kind of, you know, either go sideways in your career or go upwards in your career. And I think that's it's been a, um, you know, a key element, I feel, in, in the work that I do and, and what's kept my interest in this field. So, uh, and as you mentioned, the various roles that I had played um, and, and prior to actually coming to this role within the, the Ministry of Health in the Cook Islands, I did feel very privileged that I was able to do those things. Um, but I think this is, this is the, the thing about this career, I feel. This is what nursing allows you to grow into. You know, the potential and the possibilities are, are really endless. You build the skills, the competencies, the knowledge base, and really it's about you know, where is the next opportunity? And I think that's how I kind of perhaps came into this role. Um, some of us don't always have the opportunity. We may have the talent, the competency, but not many of us perhaps get that opportunity. So I think this is one opportunity that I've kind of opened up for me. And here I am. Yeah, no, it's a thanks for that bio. And it's pretty amazing career progression. And, you know, you said you like responsibility. I can't think of a career that requires more responsibility than joining the WHO a year or two before the uh, global pandemic hits in, in the chief nursing officer role. Can you talk to us a bit about what it's been like working at the WHO and some of the major accomplishments um, that you're proud of um, over the past you know, two years or so? You know, the timing was perhaps perfect. You know, there was this real global movement to um, make nursing visible to everybody from policymakers, from clinicians, from students. Um, so, you know, you had the Nursing Now campaign that started in 2018. And so I think, you know, there was engagement with uh, not just uh, nursing global communities, but I think, you know, health professionals globally. Um, and I think Dr. Ted Ross's uh, appointment of me and his uh, championing of nurses and midwives, I think were critical to the work, I suppose, that I ended up doing. Of course, then we had the International Year of the Nurse and the Midwife in 2020. And then we had the global pandemic in 2020. Um, so I think all of that somehow still got the focus on nurses and midwives and what they do. COVID-19 definitely uh, made that possible in terms of really understanding what nurses and midwives the value to contributing to healthcare um, globally. Um, and I think also in this time frame that I was here, um, we also launched a the very first State of the World's Nursing Report. Up to that point, we hadn't had any real data on nurses, on numbers, and, and where they are, and where they're short, and, and you know. Um, what they were doing. And so I think, you know, that was one major piece of our work with key partners uh, with ICN and Nursing Now, and of course, led by WHO. So I think these were um, 
key things that somehow in spite or despite the pandemic that we were, you know, nurses were able to, to, to kind of complete. And on top of that, we also had the third uh, State of the World's Midwifery Report. And all of this in the time of this global pandemic and, you know, the challenges to really engage and work together on this because I think it was really critical that we got the data to actually show what more we could do. And I think that's just been one of the big pieces. Those were perhaps some of the big major events or items um, that we were able to fulfill in the last couple of years. But I think there were also some events that we had to either postpone and also some that we took to a virtual platform. We had our first global government chief nursing and midwifery officers meeting and meeting of nursing leaders from our nursing associations and our midwifery associations and our regulators held virtually. So it was quite an experience and we saw, you know, a huge participation in that forum. And where, again, the State of the World's Nursing Report was uh, findings were discussed, uh, where government chief nurses and nursing leaders globally were able to say, these are the priorities we want to take forward. So really laying in the foundation for WHO to carve policy options in those areas. And so I think, you know, as a result of all of those uh, reports that were done, we were able to present this to the World Health Assembly Justice May and had a resolution on strengthening nursing and midwifery endorsed by member states. So we have something really solid to help us go beyond COVID. I think, you know, for the next five years, we have some real solid policy options that we can take and support countries to make a difference. Um, at the end of the day, it is about what countries can do, understanding the, the overwhelming situation they're already in at the moment. So how far we can actually support them and how much, um, I think that's just a, a work in progress. Totally. And, and speaking of supporting countries, I mean, you hail from Cook Islands and you're a New Zealand citizen. Clearly, New Zealand is one of the shining stars in, in how they've approached the pandemic. And there's been a lot of praise for your prime minister. Um, you know, what are some of the countries, in your opinion, that are doing the best for their nurses and midwives, whether it's letting them practice to the full scope of their license, helping address burnout, um, forming enough new nursing schools and training programs so that the workforce is, is rejuvenated. What are some of the examples, uh, any specific examples of countries that have done a good job and policies that may have been adopted by one country that other countries should consider? Interesting you say this because it kind of depends how much government chief nurse actually have a say in the planning and the decision-making in their countries. And then we've also got some who are very well matured in their health systems and have given real direct uh, responsibilities around COVID uh, response and uh, vaccine uh, rollouts. So I think that's been something we're quite keen to address and share those stories. I think for me, some of the key ones right now is the government chief nurse in Israel, who's been really a part of the decision-making in their response to COVID-19. At the same time, also with the vaccine rollout. I mean, she's been very key to their uh, program around the vaccine rollout. In Australia, we've had the chief nursing officer who's also been a key, or actually the face for them for COVID-19 in terms of the response and what she has done in terms of 
anticipating the next surge and capacitating her nurses to enable them to, you know, uh, move into uh, intensive care unit mode as the situation arose. And, of course, we're seeing that. So I think that's, that's for me, is something really quite important that should be shared. I think in terms of the mental health uh, support, we've had cases where basic psychosocial support online learning is becoming a, a, a thing that's been shared. We've had our colleagues from collaborating centres, various collaborating centres, actually making this happen for nurses. I think we've really managed to make this a virtual approach to supporting our colleagues uh, globally. That's just been something fantastic that I've seen as a result. It's not just one country, it's actually a collaboration of the nursing and midwifery community. That's just some of the, the ones I can uh, share with you just right now. Those are wonderful. And, and on that last point about mental health and, and resilience, obviously there's systemic improvements that need to be made for the health systems. One of the things I'm most proud of from even this podcast is we had uh, Ariana Huffington on uh, a couple of months back and with her organization Thrive Global, we made a, a continuing education course on nursing resilience um, that we've distributed to our audience, which I'd love to share with you after this at some point. You know, regarding global health, obviously you're in a prime position at the WHO to talk about this. You know, we're talking just a couple of days after the U.S. said that now they're recommending booster shots and Israel has been doing this for people over 60 it's obviously caused a bit of a global outcry because somebody at the WHO compared it to giving an extra life jacket to those who already have a life jacket versus 3.6 billion or more people who have not even gotten their first shot. We've had people like Ashish Jha and Chelsea Clinton on who've talked a bit about vaccine equity, but you're probably the best position, you know, given your role at WHO, to just weigh in on, on the debate. What are your thoughts and or, and or WHO's thoughts on, on how best to move forward here? Well, I, I think I'm not going to differ too much from, uh, you know, what you've all heard already in terms of WHO position around vaccine uh, inequity. That for me is, is um, I see my colleagues in other countries and I'm not even, you know, hitting that 2% coverage. It's really uh, quite disheartening because we know that if we don't address this in every country, it's not going to go away. So I think, you know, we're keeping to that principle that we actually ensure that globally in every country we are being equitable in our approach to support them to address and uh, mitigate the, the circumstances that we're in at the moment. You know, there are issues around vaccine hesitancy. We're also interested in should vaccine be mandatory for um all healthcare workers. I mean, these are conversations I think that nurses everywhere are really quite keen to get in on that debate, and, and they should. From a WHO perspective, you know, we will continue to kind of say, you know, please do encourage everyone to take the, the basic principles that WHO has been promoting around masking, around physical distancing, around good hygiene practices, and, of course, vaccination. That is uh, also the message I, I will uh, continue to encourage my colleagues and, and everyone to take on board. Yeah, it's remarkable to see, again, how different countries have different problems based on socioeconomic status, the amount of misinformation, conspiracy theories, political situations, and other, other things. Um, the second question is, imagine you're speaking to a young 
Elizabeth Iro about a, uh, start, just starting the career on whether to pursue a career in nursing or, or midwifery. What advice would you give to her on, and the millions of other potential nurses and midwives about approaching their career in nursing, especially given now that we've had a pandemic and some people I know are diving in because they want to be on the front lines helping people. Others may be a little concerned about what they're hearing about burnout and uh, other things. We've had tens of thousands of frontline healthcare workers die in the last year and a half because of COVID, as an example. I think from the outset, I want to say that I'm really proud of the global response from nurses and healthcare workers to this pandemic. Um, they really have stepped into a situation that is high risk, that's unknown, unprepared, and under-resourced in some, uh, some areas, but they continue to care in the most difficult situation. And I recognise this is, has come at a huge personal um, cost to, to many in this profession. At the beginning of the pandemic, when we saw the excellent response from the general public in regards to, you know, how nurses were responding. Um, but it really has tested, for sure, tested all of us, tested our profession across the world as a community, as a family member, as individuals. I, I just really want to say that, you know, despite this pandemic, the crisis recently in Afghanistan, in Haiti, the climate change impacts of flood, fire, all appear so overwhelming. But I think I just want everyone to remember to pause and breathe and focus on things that are around you and the people around you that matters to you. Um, it can feel really lonely at times, but remember there are about 28 million of us out there, 28 million nurses. So I'd say latch on to um, good role models that inspire you and be kind to yourself and to each other. That's wonderful advice. And speaking of role models, I know uh, absolutely many of the people listening to this will already consider you to be one of those, or if they haven't uh, yet been familiar with you, they will now. My last question is, is there anything else you would like to share with our audience? Uh, we have an audience of millions of current and future healthcare professional students. I know, you know, anything you say, they're, they're very interested to hear. So anything else I haven't asked you that you'd love to get across to them? I'd like to say that um, I think one of the, the new initiatives that we're taking forward because we've listened to country government chief nurses and government chief midwives who's told us that they want to get connected. Um, they want to remain connected. And I think, you know, this pandemic has really tested a lot of us. Um, so we're building a new initiative, a, a global community uh, of practice uh, for nurses and midwives. We are starting off by onboarding uh, government chief nurses and government chief midwives initially. And we anticipate in the new year, a rollout to engage and hopefully onboard as many nurses and uh, midwives to get connected and uh, you know, provide some inspirational kind of discussions uh, that will be current and really just to listen to them as to what do they want. Um, so I think, you know, I just want to just highlight that at this moment, and we will be reaching out and making this a, a little bit more public and formal in the coming weeks. I'll definitely take a look out for that. And if we can be helpful in spreading the word, we'd absolutely love to do that even beyond this podcast. So, uh, Ms. Sarah, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today. And more importantly, for the work that you and your colleagues do to raise the line and improve global healthcare capacity. Thank you. Take care, everyone. I'm Shiv Glani. Thank you to our audience for checking out today's show. And remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise the line. We're all in this together. Take care.
For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org slash COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast.